So you're in the right room if you'd like to hear the rarely discussed side of benefits of charity of entrepreneurship with Catrail Friedman. So Kat leads Charity Science Health, a nonprofit that sends text message reminders to mothers in India where their children are due for immunization. He previously worked on research related to global development, evaluating a school improvement program in Myanmar and overseeing an agricultural development RCT in Kenya. Kat holds a master's in public administration in international development from the Harvard Kennedy School. Please join me in welcoming Kat to the stage. Thanks so much for the warm, thanks so much for the warm welcome. So this talk is going to be a bit of a sequel to a talk that Joey Savoy gave at EA Global London last year. Joey was talking about charity entrepreneurship as a promising career path for EAs. He argued that startup charities had even greater potential for impact than the most promising existing interventions because mainly many ideas are untried or undertried and very few organizations have been founded based on a rigorous search for the most promising interventions. He also spoke about a whole slew of indirect or pass-through benefits of startup charities. They attract money, attention, passion to really promising issue areas, for example, or maybe they um, can teach us important lessons through trial and error about what works and what doesn't work. Over the last year, Eric Hausen and I have been gradually taking the helm of Charity Science Health, living in India and steering it through what you might think of its early teenage years. 99% um, of the time, we are focused on our direct impact, how we can send more memorable messages to mothers, uh, saving more lives from painful childhood diseases like measles, pneumonia, diarrhea. Today, however, I'll step back a little bit and ask what we can learn about some of these indirect effects of charity entrepreneurship. I'll go through them broadly and say whether I think we have seen in our experience these benefits really materialize, or in some cases when we haven't seen them materialize. So to get on the same page initially, I'll provide a bit of an overview of what Charity Science Health is and how we got here. I'll then break these down into three broad categories, ways that charity entrepreneurship might strengthen potential future projects, ways that charity, science, charity entrepreneurship might restructure the funding environment to be favorable to really effective projects, and ways that it might generally support building the EA movement. Finally, I'll say a few words to wrap up about how we can get involved as a community to support charity entrepreneurship through the Charity Science Network. So Charity Science Health was born out of a research project by the Charity Science founding team and an army of volunteers that set out to find what would be the most promising interventions in global health that just needed a dedicated entrepreneurial team to take them forward. At the very top of the list was SMS reminders for immunization. And so the charity science team spun up CSH to go implement it in India. I think almost everyone in this room was here uh, for a lot for Brendan's talk. And so you know Brendan Yappen, who is who with Fortify Health are the first charity entrepreneurship incubators outside of the charity science team, taking forward iron fortification of flour. The reason SMS reminders were so promising is that there's really robust evidence of impact, and it, they're extremely cheap to do. So we found six RCTs that showed, on average, the effect of getting a reminder 
of getting reminders was an increase in the immunization rate of about 10.5 percentage points. And to send our whole suite of reminders only costs us about six cents. This is a recipe for really terrific cost effectiveness. And indeed, GiveWell's preliminary CEA of the program found a cost per life saved of about $1,500. That's actually a bit conservative because it takes the very bottom of the range of the studies that that we evaluated, that we looked at, and it it um, it's a higher cost per enrollment than what we are able to subsequently demonstrate with some of our with some of our partners. The core task for CSH is to enroll caregivers as cheaply and as scalably as possible. And so we've been we started out by drawing up a list of enrollment strategies and trying them out quickly, piloting what would work, picking the things that that seem to be most promising. And then we've been gradually refining those, finding ways to make them more reliable, cheaper, more scalable. As we run out of really great ideas for how to make them better, we're going to solidify our program uh, and run an RCT. That'll be some point in the next six months that we'll probably kick that off. And if the results come back as strong as we're hoping, that'll be a signal that it's time to approach GiveWell and ask to be considered for top charity status and to begin the work of scaling up across India. We've learned that two strategies are most viable. Going door-to-door in slums and villages, trying to find as many mothers as we can and giving them the chance to sign up for the program. And on the other hand, tapping into health records kept on paper registers in health facilities or kept in digital databases by the state governments and using those to directly enroll caregivers in our program. At this point, we've reached a quarter of a million families across six states of India, And just in the last few weeks, we've had some really exciting breakthroughs with state governments. In India's federal system, it's the states that have primary responsibility for health. And so these governments are either sharing data with us already or allowing us to go to these health facilities, digitize records, and upload them into our our system for sending messages. Hopefully that provides something of a grounding for what what comes next. Benefit of charity, the category of benefits that I have the most to say about are how charity entrepreneurship strengthens other projects. So that's where I'll start. First, startup charities create networks that future projects in the same area can tap into, at least potentially. We've seen this go both ways at CSH. We have benefited a lot from networks set up by people uh, like Fortify Health Team or by the Good Food Institute. And we're also quite confident that the government relationships that we have, these working relationships with state health officials who are the mid-level officials likely to stick around over the long term, would be accessible and relevant to other projects working in the same, with the same values and the same priorities. One thing, another thing to say is that a lot of these really valuable connections are actually just business relationships. So we found really good contractors. We found, we have a couple of teams that we work with that have either been instrumental in shepherding along the process of working with the Bihar health government. And this is the Bihar state health department. And this is a a state with uh, 3 million births per year, Um, which is just sort of what the scale of India is like. And the other person just has deep, deeply interconnected uh, ties with everyone in the government and is able to tell us anything we want to know about what Indian government initiatives are going on. So to me, it seems really clear that 
these networks are a, are a benefit of doing startup charities. Another benefit is that startup charities might be an uncommonly good training ground for EAs. This is a bit of a bold claim, but it's, there, it just keeps smacking me across the face that there are skills that come with being an EA-aligned organization that would be hard to pick up in other NGOs. Um, in particular, cost-effectiveness thinking is just not that common. I come across so many, almost every conversation I have with another nonprofit consists in someone brainstorming ways we could make our program more expensive. And it might have a little bit more of an impact, but they want to add trainings, they want to add follow-ups, they want to add awareness raising. And I was really gratified recently just to be listening to a podcast with Chris Blattman, who is someone who has decades more experience dealing with this kind of thing than I do, where he, he found that this is really a universal among NGOs in the world. At CSH, we try to resist this temptation of favoring our current beneficiaries over our potential future beneficiaries um, and other kinds of motivated reasoning. So we have really structured processes for making decisions almost every time we make an important decision for the organization. We throw up a spreadsheet, we slap a scoring function on it, we figure out how to put weights on every important criteria, and we do our best to uh, quantify the qualitative. It, I would hate to be in a, one of the qualitative things I'd hate to quantify is how much faster Eric and I are growing as a result of working at this organization than we would have in our counterfactual positions, but it seems extremely plausible to me that because we're in an organization with and our team members are in an organization without preset ways of working, with really strong ties to people writing and thinking a lot about rationality. It's a much more fertile learning environment than we might have otherwise. In addition to individuals learning skills, startup charities give future projects an opportunity to learn about what works and what doesn't operationally. We like to think that this is in our organizational DNA. We are called charity science because we like to run experiments. Uh, and we've been celebrated publicly for acknowledging mistakes really forwardly about what, we, what we've been doing wrong. I think this kind of learning, yeah, I guess the other thing to say about this is that I mentioned we, we've certainly learned from examples of organizations like Fortify Health. Fortify Health figured out a way to address some legal concerns about regulations of foreign contributions to NGOs in India. And I think we adopted it faster than they did. Um, it just solved so many operational problems for us and really reduced our legal risk as an organization. And the lessons that we've learned in the experience of doing CSH have become the backbone of the charity, charity entrepreneurship incubation program. So I think it's fair to say that this, this kind of learning is both significant um, and inevitable with projects like startup, startup charities. The final way startup charities support future endeavors is by inspiring the founders to create them. This is something that has definitely happened in the case of CSH. Uh, Brendan and Nikita have gone on the record acknowledging that the example of CSH put, played an important part in their decision to launch Fortify Health. So charities evidently beget other charities. Another thing about charities is they can't exist for long without starting to have an effect on the funding environment. 
where an organization is taking its money from is going to be a really big part of determining its net impact. And so I think it's important to think about organizations that, that, take their don that take their funding from sources with the same values and priorities as you have, other, other donors in the EA community or in the impact philanthropy space, and separately think about organizations or initiatives that are funded by uh, donors with other, with other values and other priorities and other reasons for supporting them. The core ambition of CSH and the other Charity Science Network charities when it comes to EA donors is to improve the donation opportunities that are available to us. The, we obviously can't say, I obviously can't say yet whether we will accomplish this. That's why we're going to do an RCT. Um, but it's really important for us to be able to say with confidence whether we have or not. We want to do, we want to do several things to make that even more likely that we'll have that confidence. We want to accompany our RCT by a pre-analysis plan. One of the pitfalls we're worried about is this growing consensus that really promising interventions emerge at small scale, they get good results, and then when they're scaled up, those results evaporate. So to address that, we've been in pretty frequent conversations with ID Insight, with GiveWell and, and GiveWell's evaluation partner, ID Insight, uh, about what we can do. We've thought about setting a minimum size that we have to be before we evaluate. I think what we're leaning towards right now is setting up rules to firewall our operations in the study area from extra attention and extra support that's coming from the center, that's coming from, senior, from leadership. We also imagine we could get deceptively positive results from a study by picking a geography that's really favorable for us. Uh, geography with really low back baseline immunization rates or a geography uh, with really high female literacy. So we're going to map out everywhere where we would want to reach at scale and pick something closer to the median as our target, as our, as our study area. Mo thinking carefully about monitoring to make sure that we're not breaking the program as we begin scaling uh, is also really important to us. So we measure immunization rates in our enrollment process and we do phone surveys of a sample of people to make sure that they're receiving and understanding the message. So we'll, we'll know if something breaks and we're not having the effect we think we, we used to. This is really to say that at CSH, I find we have the freedom to make deliberate choices to ensure that effectiveness-minded donors know where we stand relative to our competitors. That said, startup charities have a bigger net impact when they find donors who have other values and other motivations for supporting them. It's not yet clear whether we'll be able to do this, I think that we haven't had to do very much fundraising as a result of the generosity of this community and the generosity of GiveWell. So we're really only embarking on that journey. We have had, we do have one piece of evidence, which is even without any attention to fundraising, we had a foundation that found us online and offered us a substantial grant over the course of, of three years. This, if it is indeed possible for organizations like CSH to be successful fundraisers, that will dramatically enhance the net impact that they can have. Um, an even far, farther reaching effect that charity startups could have on the funding environment is to catalyze interest of, of funders in whole new issue areas. Um, 
This is, in the case of CSH, probably a bit of a stretch. We work in immunization, and truthfully, the, the biggest global health donor in immunization has already gone more or less, the, the biggest global health donor has already gone more or less all in on immunization. So, frankly, this is a bit of a tall order. The next broad category, the final broad category, is ways in which we can strengthen the EA movement. Joey suggested that one way startup charities do this is they create institutions that preserve the principles and values of the EA community, even as individuals may value drift or may get focused on other projects. It's really hard to say in the short term whether Charity Science is doing anything like this. I really hope that CSH and the apartment where four of us live continue to be a hub of EA Delhi. It's hard to say. I also hope that intense contact with the hardcore EAs of CSH causes our team members and our close contacts to begin taking these ideas more seriously. We certainly have staff who now read EA content who hadn't read it, uh, hadn't heard the term effective altruism before. But to be frank, we haven't had anyone sign the Giving What We Can pledge or become a vegetarian to our knowledge either. So still working on that. Um, altogether, I want to ask, does any of this matter? I would like to say that attracting non-EA funding is going to justify the whole purpose of, of these startup charities. I think it's an open question whether the organizations that are really effective at impact will prove to be really effective at storytelling and fundraising outside of the EA community. We now have this growing crop of startup charities that are well on their way uh, to having to deal with that. And so we'll be able to say much more about that in the future. What I can say is that we have seen really convincing evidence that the, building these networks is an important effect of startup charities. And we have seen that these, net, these networks grow reliably wherever charity entrepreneurs are at work. This is what emerges to me with confidence as the biggest key pass-through benefit um, from this review. So, if you want to promote charity entrepreneurship, what can we as a community do to do that? Well, CSH and charity entrepreneurship with capital letters each have opportunities to have to accomplish more with the support and involvement of the community. CSH, for the first time in a while, has room for more funding. So we will need over the course of the next 18 months to continue pressing forward with these evaluations. Uh, with this evaluation and with these initiatives with the government, with three state governments, about $460,000 beyond what we expect to have coming in from other sources and beyond what we're expecting we can get with an academic partner to finance an RCT of our program. Uh, I should say that if you have any leads on people who can help me understand the nonprofit fundraising environment and people who might be interested in hearing more about this work, they would be enormously beneficial and will help save lives in India. Um, if you yourself are interested in starting a nonprofit or learning more about what it's like to start a nonprofit or have friends who would like to learn more about this, take a look at charityentrepreneurship.com. Sign up on the mailing list. The incubation school is drawing a huge amount of, was really successful at drawing a strong pool of candidates for their current cohort. And so there's very likely to be another incubation program in the next year, maybe as soon as the winter. 
If you'd like to talk to me, my email address is catriel at charityscience.com. I have office hours after this at co-working. Um, and there's the meetup on entrepreneurship uh, with Brendan and Spencer Greenberg and I at uh, Lark Creek at 3.30. So thanks very much. And I'm really excited to hear your questions. Thanks so much. Thanks for this talk. I think it's a, a really ambitious topic to try to take on, um, since I, I imagine even measuring the direct effects can be tricky enough. Absolutely. Um, so someone asked a, a pretty poignant question from the audience, which says, if, if you think that some of the interventions that you'd be pushing for um, are as effective as they seem, is it ethical to run an RCT? So this is a great, this is an excellent question. I know it's a, it's a core part of the research ethics that they teach you when you're uh, being trained to run an RCT is you can only run RCTs if you have equipoise, if you have uncertainty about what uh, about whether this an intervention works. Now, that has become a bit of a joke in the impact evaluation space. I think because no one knows how to quantify what is the certainty that you need before you can can decide this, and you can almost always make an argument that equipoise exists. Now, in this case, I think we really do have the sufficient uncertainty for it. The, this is a behavior change intervention, and I gave you a pretty favorable account of why we should be confident, but whenever you take a behavior change intervention to a new context, there are reasons that it might, it might break down and not behave. People may not respond to it in the same way uh, that you expect, and that's why GiveWell has insisted that really before they, gave, they give serious consideration to CSH as a top charity, they would want to see a... Um, they would want to see an RCT in the Indian context. The way we basically think about this is that we are focused on being implementers. And I'm not, and I apologize if I gave a sense that this was a far ranging and balanced review. I really wanted to offer something that was more of a tentative report from the field. We generally take the cue that we are going to let, uh, let people like GiveWell make a clear, clear eyed assessment of what's valuable. Yeah, um, so one of the things that you spoke to as being one of the, the main indirect value adds is, is growing this network. Um, and it's maybe just still difficult for me to get my head around how uh, starting a charity in India might create a useful network for somebody starting a charity elsewhere. Can you speak a little bit more to how that, that network functions? And I, I, that's, that's a great clarifying question. Um, I was absolutely talking about a network that's helpful in India to other projects in India, okay. that's helpful in Maharashtra and Bihar states to other projects that are working in Maharashtra and Bihar states. I think that it's reasonable when you're considering, considering a startup charity to think very carefully about what the resources that you'll be able to draw on are, and if you can draw on people like the, um, like the chief, the, the advisor to the Maharashtra chief minister that Varun Deshpande. So Varun Deshpande is the Indian presence of the Good Food Institute. He will be speaking at four o'clock. He is a phenomenal charismatic presence and has accomplished really amazing things, setting up a cellular agricultural research center um, or getting on the way to doing so in, in India. He has found someone who is a, who really gets the evidence and way of thinking of, of this community, who sits in a position of tremendous political influence and that, that, this advisor, when I first interacted with him, sent me an email that said basically, if what you're doing is terrific, if you get stuck anywhere in the state, if anyone gets in your way, just let me know and I will unstick you. And the fact that Varun and I have this close tie and we have these shared values means that he's able to uncover people like that, that will be 
uh, accessible and relevant to me. That's pretty amazing. Um, so for somebody who is in the audience and interested in going through the Charity Entrepreneurship School, did you call it? Um, what, if you're familiar with them, what are some of the things that are top of their list that they'd really like to see somebody start a charity on? Ooh, um, I'm not, I think I'm not qualified to answer that question. I just really urge you to look at the transcript of the charity entrepreneurship talk that Joey gave at um, EAG London 2018. And uh, if someone were to try to integrate into the either the existing network or, or try to build a network of their own, uh, what are some key pieces of advice that you would give them, assuming they have no background in the area? Hmm. If someone is trying to, this is this is a question about. I don't know if anyone can jump up and offer a clarification. This is a question of someone who's trying to develop a network that will make them effective for as a charity entrepreneur. Is that right? Yeah. That, that's how I'll interpret it. So. This is a really excellent question. Um, one of the things that, that I've heard people commenting on and noticed myself at, at EAG this time is that the community is becoming more and more effective in thinking about policy and more tied to senior policymakers and, um, and tied to people. So coming, coming to EAG is probably not, uh, not a bad start for that. Uh, there are, for me, the most transformative thing, I'm looking at, at someone in the audience here, the most transformative thing in my career was coming into a public policy master's that had a lot of really, really incredibly effective and thoughtful people. That the, to me, the key benefit of that master's program was that I got to see how people, like someone I'm looking at in the audience, organized their lives um, around the goal of having a better, bigger impact in the world. Um, and I got to meet, I, I got to meet them, and those people have have spread out into the world and are the the seed of a really vital and far-reaching network. Um, with that, we're going to have to uh, let you take the rest of the questions during office hours. But Fantastic. Thank you so I really appreciate it. Yeah, this this was a delight. Thank you.